1: Hello and welcome to a special Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of China where I'm doing this podcast with a bit of a conflict between joy and sadness. Sadness because we have just lost – we as Christians around the world have just lost a fellow believer that inspired many evangelists and pastors – and has done so for generations, taking God's word into more places than any other living human being alive. And a joy because I know that finally he is meeting the one that he has been preaching about for so many years. I came across a story put out by CBS called The Stone of Witness. Now I knew about the story, but I've never heard about this bronze tablet. This, this bronze tablet that supposedly sits in the San Bernardino mountain forests. A bronze tablet that shares a story that marks a place called the stone witness. A place where Billy Graham decided to believe in God no matter what. He was very known, very much known for his passion and his preaching. And during this podcast, I want to share a few stories about how he has touched my life.
0: I believe that we stand on the verge of a historic moment that could have an unparalleled and unprecedented impact in a world that is confused, perplexed, and frustrated at this hour. And I'm convinced of one thing, that during the past few weeks, we have seen an easing of world tension. And I believe that one of the contributing factors to the easing of world tension and the prospects of an era of peace is the great spiritual awakening that we believe is taking place in many parts of the world. At the conclusion, thousands answered his invitation to come and stand before the rostrum as a gesture of dedication. I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat. And as you come, you're saying, I receive Christ. I renounce my sins. I want to be born again. I want to surrender to him as Lord and Master. You're saying that symbolically as you stand in front of his cross by faith tonight.
1: That was Billy Graham at Wembley Stadium in 1955, where he preached with vigor and passion. That was... Towards the beginning of a journey that God would lead him around the world to speak to more people than anyone else in the history of man. Having spoken directly face-to-face with at least 250 million people that attended his crusades. But when we add to that, those that have watched him on the internet, read about him through his books, his magazines, his newsletters, TV, and the witnesses that left out from those meetings and went and spoke to other meetings and reached others, we saw a chain events of people that were transformed. Billy Graham was saved when he was only a teenager, and right after he became a Christian, he decided that he was going to go to a Bible school… His desire was to become a chaplain in the U.S. military. So he attended Bob Jones University in 1936, but he found it too legalistic and he ended up leaving. When he applied to become a chaplain in the U.S. military, he came down with the mumps and was not able to serve. He's known for so many things throughout history, some of the things we've largely forgotten because they are more than half a century behind us. A lot of people don't know, but Graham was one of the people that stood up in strong opposition to racial segregation, which was prominent in the south where he grew up in North Carolina, in the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina. He is known that in in the 1950s, he would go through his crusade areas and tear down ropes that segregated the blacks and the whites from sitting in the same audience together. In 1955, Graham invited Martin Luther King Jr. to join him in the pulpit at his 16-week revival meeting in New York City where 2.3 million people gathered in Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, and Times Square to hear the two of them share about the good news of Jesus Christ. In his own autobiography that I remember reading and absolutely enjoyed, he talks about the relationship that him and Martin Luther King developed and that he was one of the few people in his life that – allowed him to call him by a nickname, Mike. In 1963, a lot of people may not know this, but when Martin Luther King was thrown in jail because of civil rights protests in Birmingham, Alabama, it was Reverend Graham who actually came and posted the bail money to get him out. He was advisor to the president since President Truman And from Truman to Obama is regarded as the pastor who led presidents into prayer. In fact, he even ministered to their children. At one point, he came across a young man, son of the president, who was drunk. And instead of criticizing him, instead of making him feel bad about himself... Billy Graham took a walk with him and began to minister to him. President George W. Bush remembers that he was an alcoholic, but that night, together with Billy Graham, was the start of his recovery process. I remember reading a book. I had a book that I guess I picked up from somewhere. I know that I didn't buy it, and I might get some of the details Incorrect because I didn't actually look this up before I started the podcast, but it just came to my mind as I'm doing the podcast. I remember one summer in Sweden getting a used book from someone's house. I don't remember who it was, but I remember specifically reading it called I Was Wrong by Jim Baker. I remember Jim Baker from the 1980s, and and even today – I worked together with the ministry that works in the former location where he had such a huge ministry that was known as PTL and Heritage USA, this, this large corporation that had been started by their ministry, uh, the PTL ministry to sh- have this like vacation spot for Christians. Some of you that are older listening to this podcast, you right, might remember that you could buy like a timeshare and go and, and, be with other Christians at Heritage USA. There was this Main Street USA. There was a water park. There was a hotel. There was this entire, entirely new idea of starting a Christian theme parking and community. And that was all being led by Jim Baker and his wife Tammy. When he went to prison, he was the laughingstock of the entire world. He was the example of what not to be as Christians. I remember one preacher. I'm not going to say his name, but he said that Jim Baker is the cancer on the body of Christ that needs to be cut off. Because of his ways and his infidelity. That preacher that said that was soon found out for his own infidelity. Jim Baker, who had many friends in the ministry saw that when he went down and he went to prison, there was a fight over who would take over PTL, but nobody fought over who would be his friend. He was a charismatic. He was big in flash, big on money, and sold the idea of name it and claim it to the entire world. When he went to prison, he felt alone and abandoned. Nobody came to visit him. Except for Billy Graham. When Jim Baker walked out of prison, according to that book, as I remember me reading it, Jim Baker was brought together with the Graham family, sat right with him in the pew with the Graham family, and they became his brothers and sisters in Christ through the darkest hour of his life, which led him to write the book. I was wrong. See, he didn't realize that his theology was upside down because someone attacked him and told him how stupid he was, how wrong he was, how evil he was, how much of a tool or an instrument for the devil he was. Instead, his ideas changed because a true believer in Jesus Christ reached out to him and became friends together with him and ministered to him and stayed beside him like a brother during the hardest trial of his life. And when other Christians... Christians were kicking him and putting him down. One came out that had a lot to lose, to be associated with, 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 um, Jim Baker during those days would have made you guilty by association, but the Graham family put their reputation, their ministry on the line to stand beside a fellow believer Billy Graham refused to preach in places like South Africa because he had integrity and he believed what was going on there was wrong with apartheid and he separated himself from it. I often tell a story because for six years, I had the distinct privilege of serving together with the Graham family. It was in the early 2000s. And I remember an individual that came from Samaritan's Purse, Franklin Graham's organization, the the son of Billy Graham. And he had shared about this project called Operation Christmas Child. When he shared about it, he was an individual, the person that came and – Shared about Operation Christmas Child was a guy by the name of Gary. And Gary came in to a board meeting that we were having in Spain. And he shared about Operation Christmas Child. And he began to cry because he was emotionally connected with the purpose of sharing the gospel through a gift with children all around the world. And our board was moved by that passion. And that started our relationship with samaritan's purse and so back to jerusalem was able to deliver several hundred thousand gifts in a period of six years throughout all of china together with samaritan's purse and every year i would travel to boone north carolina to to meet with the staff as well as to spend time in franklin's office I never actually got to meet with Billy but I met many of the people that were with the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association as well as his son and I learned a lot about their family through the son one of the things that I did not know is that his grandparents Franklin's grandparents the the in-laws for Billy Graham became spiritual advisors Ruth Bell's father became a spiritual advisor and a mentor to Billy Graham. I can identify with that because Brother Wren is my father-in-law and has become a very close spiritual advisor for me. I am closer to him than I am anyone else in the world besides my wife. I call him. I speak with him almost on a daily basis, and I look to him for guidance. My real dad died when I was about one year old. So, in many ways, he has been my father in law, has been very much like a father to me. So, to see Ruth Bell's father and the relationship that they had together with Franklin, uh, Billy Graham is something that I can relate to. And when he died, when Billy Graham's Father-in-law and mother-in-law died. They put on their grave. Nai Nai and Ye Ye. And I've never been to Ruth Bell's grave. But I've seen pictures of it on the internet. What has been said to be Ruth Bell's grave. And on Ruth Bell's grave has the Chinese character for righteousness. Which is a very special character in the Chinese language. Especially for Christians. Because the imagery. That you have for that character of righteousness. You see, Ruth Bell knew the characters of righteousness. Because Billy Graham's wife was born and raised in China. And if any man is listening to this podcast. That is married for any amount of time at all. You will know the impact that your wife has on you. To change many of your ideas. The more you live together and grow old together. So I know that the the, the Chinese culture. That Ruth Bell had grown up in had greatly shaped her life and in turn shaped a lot of what Billy Graham shared in ministry. We know that Billy Graham traveled to, together with his wife to China and to even North Korea where Ruth Bell went to high school. She went to high school in Pyongyang, North Korea. But that character, she chose the Chinese character for Righteousness. Because for us Christians, that Chinese character has so much symbolism. It is symbolic. Because unlike the English language that has characters that make sounds, the Chinese characters tell stories. And the Chinese character for righteousness is a beautiful one. Because it has a lamb, the character for a lamb, over the character for me. So righteousness, and in order to obtain righteousness, Billy Graham worked with his wife to have this Chinese character on her grave, a lamb over me, to have righteousness, this Chinese character. When I traveled around handing out these several hundred thousand gifts for Operation Christmas Child in China. We were the first ones to do it. I remember starting off with only a small amount but building up over the years all the way up until the earthquake of 2008. When Franklin had visited China, he became associated with the project, which meant that I was no longer able to run it because I could not... Become associated with a Christian organization. I was actually doing it openly as a humanitarian operation. And I knew that I would be greatly restricted in my other work. If I continued to do a project openly that was known to be connected with the Graham family. But I loved every minute that I was working together with them. They had a a strong sense of integrity that I would later adopt for myself. Because of my exposure with them. And as I handed out those gifts. There were times where I would have Christians with me. And I would share together with them. The importance of being used by God. At no matter what capacity. No matter what place. No matter what opportunities. Great or small were given. And there's a story that I've shared many times. That starts with a Sunday school by the name, Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. Now, many of you listening to this podcast, you might already know about this Sunday school Edward Kimball and how he is directly related to Billy Graham. But if you are not, allow me to be the one to introduce you to who Edward Kimball is because in many ways, I saw the impact of a Sunday school teacher. Because a Sunday school teacher that did not have a very big Sunday school class probably did not know if his if his service to God would ever grow to be of any significance at all that his children or his children's children might remember. Many of us, when we begin to serve Christ, I think that we have ideas of how we are to be used by God. And we start to even maybe put our own ideas and project our ideas onto God and ask him to grant us opportunities that we think we need. When God has us right where we are for a reason to minister to those that are around us at every single opportunity. Edward Kimball did not have many people in his Sunday school class, but one of the young boys that he had was a guy by the name of D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody became an evangelist and went around speaking. He received Christ in the Sunday school class of Edward Kimball and went out preaching to many people that Edward Kimball would probably never get an opportunity to ever meet. So he made a deposit into his life, this young boy who began preaching and holding different evangelistic meetings. And one of the people that got saved in that meeting, one of the meetings that D.L. Moody spoke at was a guy by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman and J. Wilbur Chapman went and preached in many different places and was able to lead a guy to Christ by the name of Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday went to a tent meeting where he was led to Christ by, or Billy Sunday went to a a tent meeting where he was able to lead a guy to Christ by the name of Mordecai Ham. And Mordecai Ham was holding a tent meeting in a small little North uh, North Carolina town when a, 15-year-old boy from a farm by the name of Billy Graham comes and gives his heart to Christ. He ends up going to a Bible college where he meets a young lady from China by the name of Ruth Bell. Ruth Bell becomes his wife. They have a son by the name of Franklin Graham. Franklin Graham and I worked together to be able to do Operation Christmas Child inside of China. And I handed out, personally, I handed out hundreds of thousands of those Precious gifts that came from dedicated families that wanted to minister to children all around the world. I got to be the ambassador and see the faces as I handed these Christmas gifts that became some of the most precious valuables in the hands of these children which didn't have much else. I went to some of the most rural areas of all of China and I handed out these these Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. I got video footage of where I had a unique opportunity to stand in front of thousands and thousands of children in their schools together with government officials, teachers and principals, parents and students, faculty and staff, and was able to share about the good news of Jesus Christ through the message of Christmas. And all of those thousands of children, I, in the back of my mind, I thought about the Graham family as well as all the way back to the roots of this Sunday school teacher, Edward Kimball. And I shared that story several times. Many of you might have heard it before. But as I got to know the Graham family more and I began to read their biographies, there was one thing that really hit me a lot. I actually shared about it um, last year during um, Vice President Pence when he was being attacked for saying that he does not eat or travel with women that he is not married to. And he was made fun of ruthlessly, relentlessly by talk shows all around the world people laughed at him and made fun of him and it was only a few months later that the biggest names in the world when it comes to media, entertainment, politics began to fall like dominoes because of their inappropriate behavior with women in private that they were not married to. And there was an event that I read about in one of the books that I was I was given on Billy Graham uh, that there was in 1948, him and a group of men that worked together with him that were known as his lieutenants. They came together and thought about the, the different things that bring down ministries and how they could avoid being attacked by the enemy. How could they maintain a, a standard that would be beyond reproach not in rea- not just in reality but also in perception where they would keep a level of integrity that that went beyond reproach even in perception that even if what they were doing was not wrong they would keep themselves out of a situation that would be perceived to be wrong and they put together in in Modesto California this this what became known as the Modesto Manifesto. And this Modesto Manifesto basically said that in order to keep honest, they pledged together. These men came together, men of integrity, men of God, that they would keep each other accountable and they would sign a pledge. And the pledge said that they would never be alone or travel Or be in a room with a woman other than their wives. And they would keep honest financial records. And those financial records would have their salary. And the salary would be set for them. And they would not need anything else other than what was provided to them from their salary. When I read that, I too made that same dedication. And as a rule for Back to Jerusalem, everybody that I have brought into the organization, Chinese or non-Chinese, if we come on tour, anybody that has tried to give us an offering for personal use will, will be able to testify to what I'm about to say. If you come into a Brother Yun meeting and I'm traveling together with Brother Yun and you try to give me funding for Brother Yun and say this is a personal offering for Brother Yun, I will tell you that... I'm sorry, but myself and nobody on the team, including Brother Yun, is not able to take a personal offering. And I'm telling you, there have been many people upset at me for doing that. And the reason we do that is because our organization has taken care of all of our financial needs. And everything above that goes to the ministry. So that we could never be attacked, or at least we could try to keep ourselves from being attacked for embezzling Funding that was not ours. So whenever I travel, if somebody as as good as the intentions are, and I appreciate that there are so many good people who think beyond ministry and think about the people and want to be a blessing for those that are serving in back to Jerusalem. And so there have been many people, especially just this last week, when I just came from America, I traveled to many different areas around America. People were giving me money saying, this is for you and your family, and I would, if I had the opportunity, I would tell them, thank you very much. But as a rule, our organization does not allow us to take personal offerings. And so any funding that is given to me or my family goes directly into the offerings for the ministry. All of the books that I have written for Back to Jerusalem. I decided at the, at the very beginning stage because of the impact of reading about this uh, manifesto, this Modesto Manifesto by Billy Graham and his ministry lieutenants as they were called. Because of the way that I was impacted. I decided at a very early stage that no matter what I did, it would truly always be for ministry so that even the motives behind doing some of the work that I've been doing would not be questioned on whether I was doing them to raise funding. Because so far I've written well over – I don't even know how many books, 10, 15, uh, maybe getting – who knows how many books. I know by the end of this year or next year it will be 20 books um, that that I have written. And I collect zero royalties for any of the books that I have written. 100% of all the royalties for all the books that I have written goes directly into ministries and back to Jerusalem ministry. Now I have written some books together with Individuals, and so um, I make certain deals with individuals that I work together with. So, for instance, uh, I stand with Christ. I have told Pastor Zhang that I will use the funding that comes in fifty percent of everything that's sold through the publisher will go to him, but all of the money that comes to royalties for the author for me goes to the ministry, and as the recipient for all of my royalties, it's written into the contract that it goes to back to Jerusalem. Now that's not to say that somehow I have become a martyr like Billy Graham. I feel that all of my needs are more than met. I travel and work with people all around the world that are living in some of the most impoverished areas and, and have very few resources. My family has more than enough. Everything that I need has been provided. And I thank God for that. I need nothing more than I have because I have more than I need. But I feel that very early on when I was in my early 20s, I learned a lot from the Graham family and thank God for that opportunity. I remember reading a story that included Billy Graham that really made a huge impact on me as well. And if you haven't heard about this story, I just want to share it with you really quick, and then I will end on this as a dedication to Billy Graham. And I don't know how many people will listen to this. There may be even some individuals that may not like Billy Graham for one reason or another and may not think that he was a true Christian, but maybe he led many people astray. I'll take the heat for that. Because Ga Peli, which is how we say his name in Chinese, Ga was someone that really made a positive impact in my life to serve Christ to the best of my ability. One of the things that encourages me is a story about him and one of his best friends. In the early years when he began to serve in the ministry... He had a companion and the two of them shared a room and they traveled all around the world and they began to speak. And in fact, his friend became more well known than him because he was such a great orator and uh, amazing with words. He was a wordsmith and an intellectual. He just had a natural ability to communicate in a way that people loved. Together, he and his friend worked for an organization that was new called Youth for Christ. His name was Charles Templeton. And they traveled all around America, Canada, England, Scotland, Ireland, Sweden, and they roomed together. And they had deep discussions about God and Christ. Charles Templeton actually became more well-known than Billy Graham as an evangelist and more sought-after. Charles Templeton ended up having his own TV show in the very early days. I mean we're talking about the 1950s and 40s here. So in the very early days of TV, uh, Charles Templeton had his own weekly TV show on CBS called Look Up and Live. In order to learn more, he ended up going to Princeton Seminary. And at Princeton Seminary, he learned To be able to dissect the Bible inside and out. He came across several very liberal professors who eagerly pointed out the inconsistencies in the Bible. And this added to the depth of Charles and Billy's conversations. And Charles began to ask Billy, how is it possible That you can believe that there's a God out there when the only book that we have is chocked full of so many inconsistencies. There are so many contradictions. How, Billy, do you explain these contradictions? Billy Graham acknowledged that Templeton, Charles Templeton, was more intellectually curious than himself. And Charles slowly began to introduce Billy Graham to more ideas that he discovered in modern theology. And these modern ideas in theology that use the Bible as their foundation through a great deal of doubt on the historical accuracy of this book that Billy Graham cherished so much. And Charles valued it just as much as Billy. So it wasn't like Billy was somehow a better Christian. It just meant that maybe he wasn't as smart as Charles. Because Charles was able to dig into the exact same book that Billy had. And he found all of these problems and errors. And he was asking a very simple question. And and Billy's answer should have been a very simple one back. He asked Billy, How can you truly believe that this book is the word of God? If God is perfect, he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. If he is perfect in all of his ways, the king of king and lord of lords, how is it possible that the only book that we know him from is chalked so full of errors written by such men that were just like you and I? He began to joke with Billy Graham and say that, you know, our animal magnetism and youthful enthusiasm is not going to be forever, Billy. He challenged Billy and asked him, how can you continue to place your faith on such flimsy doctrine? And urged him to study at the top seminaries. Riled by the questions and wracked by the doubt, Billy fled to a Christian retreat in Southern California, San Bernardino Mountains, right before a huge revival was supposed to take place in Los Angeles. His good friend, companion, compadre, was no longer going to be there. He publicly announced that he could no longer, in good faith, be honest, and believe in Jesus Christ. Have you ever felt that way? Because that story really hit me that there are times where I've prayed and I've prayed, and yet that which I prayed for, I didn't even know if there was anybody that was praying to. The intellectual part of my mind... The rational part of my mind asks me, what are you doing? Do you really believe that there's somebody out there listening to your prayer? And I start to doubt. I can remember one night being asked to come over and go into the house of a very close friend of mine. Because he was not answering his door when his young daughters came from an evening Bible study. And they couldn't get into the house and daddy wasn't answering. And they knew that dad was in the house, but he wasn't answering the door. And their mom had just left on a trip to go take care of their retiring mother. And I come to provide comfort. Only to push my way through the door into their house. And find my good friend face down and lifeless. I send the daughters away so they're not able to see, but... I'm with my good friend alone. Except it's not my good friend. It's only the shell of his body. His face is lifeless. The spark that i knew him from the the laughter the jokes they were not there anymore they had left him it made me think of people that used to have funerals in their own home these wakes where a family member would be propped up in the corner of a house I don't know how they did it. How they could look a family member that they had loved and lived with for so many years and have them still in the house and then you're going to go to sleep and you're going to eat and and you're going to do that for days with your family member there dead in your house. I was only there for a few minutes, but they felt like hours. I called 911 or the equivalent of 911. I was in Hong Kong. And I prayed. I prayed like never before. And I realized that I had been sinning. And I asked God to forgive me from for those sins so that nothing in my life would keep or hold back the power of prayer. And I begged God. I made deals with God. I'm sitting there with my friend. I'm holding his lifeless hand. And I'm praying that he be brought back to life. This was an opportunity where I could see the dead raised back to life. And this was not just some random person that I walked by on the street and somebody asked me to come and pray for them, but I didn't really know them. And they're asking me to pray that they come back to life. And, and, and I'm praying, but I'm not really connected or, or personally or emotionally invested. I was Good friends. This was one of my best friends. He moved to Hong Kong specifically because I asked him to. And he became my next door neighbor. And it's just me and him. And I'm in front of God and I'm begging. And I ask God, God, if there's any reason, if I lack faith, if I have sin. If there's anything that's creating a barrier between you and I, please don't take it out on my friend. Answer this prayer, not for my sake, but for his. And may your name be glorified. The ambulance came. The paramedics, they carried him out. And I stayed with him. I was the only one that rode the ambulance back with him. And as they put him on life support, I kept waiting for the machine that was showing his heartbeat to beep in a way that showed some kind of activity. And I continued to pray. And I prayed. And I prayed. And at some point, the enemy began to talk to me and ask, Is there anyone listening? You have left your homeland to serve a God that may not even be real. All of these things are laying at your feet as evidence that your God is not real. And it's all a figment of your imagination, a mystical God from several thousand years ago. And for some reason, because of habit or culture or a weak point in your life, whatever it might be, you have continued to walk in that footpath, but it's not real. It's an illusion. And if you only stop to really look at it, the inconsistencies will prove that your God is not real. And that's, Is where Billy Graham was. And he walks into the foothills of the San Bernardino Mountains and he sits on a tree stump and he opens up his Bible on a big rock and he prayed and he pondered and he thought about the words that were shared by his good friend Charles Templeton. He pleaded and struggled and finally he surrendered. Deciding to trust in the authority of the Bible, doubts be damned. And I'm told that today there is a bronze tablet that marks the stone of witness. The very place where Graham opened up his Bible and said, God, these questions that I have. These questions that were brought to me by Charles Templeton. I don't know the answers. I wish I did. I wish you would reveal yourself in a very real way. I remember how I felt when I had to go out and speak at his funeral. My good friend's funeral. I watched him not come back to life. I watched his dead body be put onto a bed that was then taken to the morgue. I then had to escort his widow, just her and I to the morgue. I remember when she walked in and she looked at his lifeless body on this cold slab of steel. She cried and she spoke to him. I stayed at a distance pretending that I wasn't watching, pretending that I wasn't listening, but I was watching and I was listening and it hurt. It hurt to know that the God that I was praying to was not answering the prayers. And as a result, there were two young girls that I loved deeply and a widow that was watching her husband being taken and prepped for a funeral. I had to go and speak at his funeral service and then I went and I preached at several churches and it was hard because there were so many things that I didn't understand. How was I supposed to be sharing about this amazing God that does miraculous things when I felt like I needed him most and yet he was silent? And I came to the same conclusion as Billy did. At this stone of witness. I don't know what your stone of witness is. I know that you that are listening to this podcast. You too have had your challenges. Where the enemy has come and challenged that which you believe. And Billy decides that God there's so many things that I can't understand. I cannot explain There are things that I'm not able to put into words, but I will believe in you. I put all of my thoughts, all of my rational behavior, all of the things that cast doubt on who you are. I make them subjected to my faith and I believe in you and I will put my trust in you, though I do not understand And on September twenty fifth, nineteen forty nine, in a Ringling Brothers type of tent pitched in downtown Los Angeles, just down the hills from the San Bernardino mountain forest. This old circus tent is rigged up with seven large poles and a stage was placed at the front, and the Bible was opened up to Romans 12, verse 2. The tent stretched for a city block, and out of weakness, Billy began to preach. And by the time that crusade ended on November 20th, 1949, Three hundred and fifty thousand people in downtown Los Angeles. Can you imagine in downtown Los Angeles today? Three hundred and fifty thousand people heard the good news of Jesus Christ preached by Billy Graham inside an old circus tent. And three thousand people came to Christ and dedicated themselves to become believers. Charles retired in Canada and an author by the name of Lee Strobel went and did it is one of the last interviews together with him and asked him, since you have become an atheist, what do you miss most? And he said, the thing that I missed most about being a Christian is Jesus. He was never alone when Jesus was with him. But once he rejected Jesus, he felt an emptiness. But he never found condemnation from his good friend, Billy Graham. Billy never took an opportunity On camera, in private, to the press, he never had, he never took an opportunity to criticize his friend for the decision that his friend made. He did nothing but provide love. I think sometimes we get a little bit confused about diversity. And we promote diversity in the secular world and, and feel that in some ways by being a Christian, we give up that diversity. But I would argue that true diversity actually exists in unity. And it sounds like a contradiction. But diversity in the way that the world sees it is actually nothing but division, that which divides us, that which pulls us apart, makes us more tribal in our minds. The very thing that the world tries to promote is diversity. When given into, we see that it becomes racist. It becomes hateful. It becomes combative. Individuals begin hating one another. They try to be colorblind and world diversity, copying after Christianity, leading many Christians to the world's idea of diversity. But once it is consumed for a long period of time, we start to see that it was never really diversity that leads to unity. It was only diversity that leads to division, hate, anger. That's why that as we become more like the world, we, come, we become more violent, hateful. But in Christianity, we find diversity and unity. We find the kind of unity that rallies around truth. And rallying around truth and seeing it from different angles. The same truth, not different truths. Seeing the same truth from different angles allows us to encourage one another from our different points of view. Our different points of view does not divide us. It unites us. That's why we have four gospels. The four gospels don't cover exactly the same stories in the exact same way. They cover the same Jesus from different Perspectives and they don't contradict one another, they enlighten the reader from different perspectives because God is too big to understand from only one perspective. The word university, when you go to a university to study and become enlightened. You don't go to a uh, university to be enlightened about many different truths because there are not many different truths. There's only one truth. That's why you have universitas. Unity of truth. University. This is the, the, the root of this word, university, is to be united around truth. Diverse Cultures, individuals, all coming to an understanding of the same truth. And Billy brought truth to more people around the world than anyone else in the history of man. And I hope that in our generation, we can break that record. And when we see him in heaven, we can say, Brother, we ran the race. You were ahead of us, (laughs) but not for long. You inspired us. And we want to reach more people than you did in our generation. Thank you so much for downloading this podcast. Thank you so much for your support of Back to Jerusalem. And our prayers are with the Graham family as they grieve the loss of one of the best evangelists, of our lifetime. Thank you and God bless.